0: Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Today's podcast is titled Financial Globalization and Currency Movement. 1981 Nobel Prize winner in economics, James Tobin, discusses financial globalization and currency movement with economics professor and director of the Cowles Foundation, John Giancopoulos. Listen now, and don't forget to subscribe to get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast.
1: So we're here today to talk about... uh financial globalization, currency crisis, and exchange rates, so i like to start the conversation just asking you when this financial globalization started and when you started to notice it.
0: Well, actually we had an era of uh, r- real uh, financial globalization in the period about 1880 to 1914, mm-hmm. the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, fixed exchange rate, uh, in a sense, a world currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there was silver also, but the somehow the uh, until uh, the eighteen nineties, the uh, the rates of silver and gold in, in monetization of of them were uh, compatible, so there wasn't a big problem, and we did have we did have a world currency. Well. You have to think of the world as being rather small. The, uh, the capitalist, the capitalist world uh, mm-hmm. of uh, Europe and uh, and the possessions of Europe around the world, or the places that were settled by, especially by the by the British, mm-hmm. and so there, there were no exchange controls, and uh, there was complete uh, uh, freedom to move funds and. Uh, much more uh, capital moving relative to the size of the world economy than has been true since 1914,
1: mm-hmm. even compared to now.
0: Compared to now,
1: mm-hmm. even
0: compared to now, at at one point the major country that was running the show was the United Kingdom, Great Britain, uh-huh. uh, was exporting 50 uh, percent of the saving of the of the nation. They had, that was. And that was uh, a much larger uh, current account deficit than uh, than even we have now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, uh, uh, of course, all that fell apart, uh, first by the First World War, and then by the sort of anarchy and the exchange uh, regulations and markets afterwards, and uh, an attempt to— the attempts to reestablish uh, a gold standard at the pre-1914 exchange rates actually made the uh, depression of the 1930s much worse, and the attempt to stick to a gold standard exchange rates that were out of line uh, was uh, probably the main reason why a uh, what was a a rather, in the in catalog of uh, ordinary recessions, business cycle recessions, it was a rather uh, acute one in uh, 3031, but it wasn't a, a, a disaster as it turned out to be, uh, but it was made to be that by the, uh, by the determination of uh, the major countries to stay on the gold standard long after it was... Uh, impossible to do.
1: So this might take us far afield, but you think it's the gold standard, not just bad domestic monetary policy? Well, I think
0: the bad domestic monetary policy was closely related to the uh, priority given to stay on the gold standard.
1: And who who was the leader of this movement to uh, put us back on the gold standard? I mean, who was the intellectual guru? Was there one? Well,
0: there were uh, central bankers in all these countries who were, uh, Mm -hmm. but the United Kingdom returned to the gold standard in 1925, but they insisted on returning at the 1914 exchange rate, this which
1: was Churchill, like, I suppose, which was too
0: high; it was overvalued.
1: Churchill was the minister. Churchill there. was the <laughs>
0: chancellor. Chancellor, yes. And uh-huh. uh, Keynes uh, told him it was <laughs>
1: a big mistake. It
0: would not work, and wrote a uh, wrote a pamphlet called "The Economic Consequences of Mister Churchill." <laughs> 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 and uh, so, then uh, it was. A, of course, it, it, all during the interwar period, there was sort of anarchy, and there was, there was no system, and there was this disaster. Mm-hmm. Then we have, uh, after the war, the in fact, planning before the war was over is very unlike the way things are done nowadays. They actually, somebody thought. About we we better set up a monetary system uh, before the war is over, so we can have it ready to go.
1: Wars are shorter nowadays. Maybe Hmm? wars are shorter nowadays. Maybe that's why there's less planning about what'll happen after. But
0: yeah, Bretton Woods. So uh, so it reestablished a a kind of gold standard, but it was a what you'd call an adjustable peg system. So instead of having a a set of exchange rates that were determined by the gold content of the various currencies, which, were, which was a crime to, uh, to change. Uh, we had uh, adjustable pegs that could be exchange rates with gold and with the dollar could be changed uh, by each country if they wanted to. Uh, but we also had exchange controls. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was expected that there would be exchange controls, so that the priority at the end of the Second World War was to uh, make uh, make convertible earnings in a foreign currency that you made by trade, Mm -hmm. by selling goods in the foreign country. Then the principle of the International Monetary Fund was that you should be able to convert what you earn in, a, in let's say, a, a domestic currency in, uh, in Central Europe, you should be able to convert that from the Czechoslovak currency into dollars mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but there was no prohibition, there still is not, in the articles of the International Monetary Fund, there is no uh, <clears throat> prohibition of exchange controls or regulations. Mm-hmm. Or any re- requirement that the countries should make all holdings of any currency convertible into any other currency. Although that is the presumably objective of uh, of globalization.
1: So in, in uh, so there was this great dislocation caused by the war. There was this mistaken gold standard, and finally after World War II. The economies of the world meet and try to get things back, uh, uh, back on some productive uh, path to global trade. So I have a few questions. Why, why didn't we reach the standard of international financial arrangements we had before 1914 that you said was even bigger than now? And what's the use of all these uh, exchange rates anyway? It seems like it's just getting in the way of the free market. Why, why pay things? It just seems like a bad idea. Why we, why why was there, what was the purpose of the vision behind it? Well, I think
0: it was uh, like the purpose of having a common currency throughout the United States or a common currency now in uh, the European Union. Mm -hmm. uh, And since in the uh, the 19th century and uh, early 20th century, there was no uh, idea that you could Manage your own macroeconomy. That there was a role for monetary policy in making uh, the business cycle uh, more more uh, stable and doing a better job of uh, having full employment and uh, so on. And so people regarded as uh, perfectly natural and to be expected. Whatever. Uh, economic problems resulted from uh, sticking with the gold parity between currencies. And since the uh, predominant international monetary and economic power was a country that had free trade anyway mm-hmm. in commodities, namely the United Kingdom, there, and which was making a big business out of being the uh, financial uh, center of the world. Uh, and many of the uh, participants in the international World standard were either dominions of the Queen, or uh, of, or they were uh, former uh, English uh, possessions or dominions or colonies. So, and there wasn't any tradition of any idea that uh, that. That what happened to you and under the Gold Standard wasn't just like the weather; it was something that happened, and mm-hmm. you couldn't expect to do anything about it. So you just accepted it. And uh, the reason you could, it's harder to do that now is that people have this idea that uh, maybe comes from the Keynesian revolution in economics that you can that you can manage your own economy and and uh, and you don't have to take all the sh- uh, as as uh, irreversible and uh, something you can do nothing about the shocks that you get from from other from the rest of the world mm-hmm. so that's that's why I think people either want to, somehow mm-hmm. to regulate the on a national basis the uh, uh, movements of funds across the currency exchanges or or they want to have uh, the possibility of having a uh, monetary policy of their own. Uh, essentially, that means having an interest rate
1: of their own. Mm-hmm. So, a fixed exchange rate and limits on the amount of capital that go back and forth are those? Do they go hand in hand, or could you have one without having the other? I mean,
0: you can have one without having the other, but you have to have then some uh, viable way of uh, regulating the. Uh, the flow of funds across the exchange rate. Mm-hmm. Some exchange control, some capital control. Uh, some countries have had under various circumstances a uh, a, a different exchange rate for capital transfers, mm-hmm. for in investments, buying assets, buying paper assets across or electronic assets across the exchange rate mm-hmm. from what they have for buying grain and uh, TV sets across the exchange.
1: Mm-hmm. So when would you say the modern era of uh, international finance began? Would you say from Bretton Woods or from... No, because or... Bretton
0: Woods uh, still coexisted with rather, uh, rather restrictive uh, regulations mm-hmm. of the exchanges uh, for maybe uh, 20 years or so uh, after uh, the formation of the International Monetary Fund in nineteen forty five and the uh, the in fact uh, there were still in advanced European democracies like France and Italy there were still exchange controls some exchange controls into the middle of the 1980s exchange
1: controls between france and
0: between france and everywhere else everywhere else uh-huh yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, the movement of, by private citizens to move Franks into Germany or into the United States mm-hmm. was not completely free until the mm-hmm. 1980s.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, uh, a lot of this uh, uh, expectation that little countries like uh, Indonesia and uh, Thailand should be the way the advanced countries got to be. 25 years after the formation of the International Monetary Fund and the Treaty of Bretton Woods seems to be expecting a lot from them.
1: Well, so this new international order with less controls and, and I guess floating rates now in many places, um, that began when?
0: Well, the uh, Bretton Woods system as originally set up, which depended upon uh, the Indirectly, everybody was attached to gold. Every member of the International Monetary Fund, and uh, but the actually, every country except the United States was attached to the dollar,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and the dollar was attached to gold in the sense that any government or central bank or any official international agency that had uh, dollar liabilities, had had liabilities of the United States in dollars, could ask the United States Treasury for gold Mm -hmm. at the established rate, $35
1: an ounce. So even I remember when that came to an end. That came
0: to an end in 1971. Well, then there was a two-year period of uh, um, uncertainty and uh, chaos, uh, nobody knew exactly uh, what to do during that period, there was a, uh, a Smithsonian uh, yeah. agreement, which Richard Nixon said was the most uh, important uh, monetary international monetary agreement that ever obtained and and a year after he said that it was done <laughs> the, uh, uh, so at that point the uh, well, the thing was that the United States had no way of uh, changing its exchange rate under the Bretton Woods system, because it, whereas every other country could could change their exchange rate with the dollar, the dollar could not exchange change its exchange rate with the dollar, and it could only mm-hmm. change its exchange rate with gold. Mm-hmm. And uh, the. Uh, that could be nullified as far as an effect on exchange rate is concerned by the other countries just copying it. Mm-hmm. So we wanted, in 1971, we wanted to depreciate the dollar relative to the yen and mm-hmm. the Deutschmark. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do that, so they wanted us to change the price of gold, and but then they would change the price of gold, too, so mm-hmm. we wouldn't have succeeded. in. Mm-hmm. So at at that point, the Nixon administration became so angry at them that they said, "Okay, that's the end of our obligation to pay gold. From now on, we will pay gold to people who hold dollars only uh, if we care to." Mm -hmm. So that was the end of the uh, of the Bretton Woods exchange rate system. It wasn't the end of the International Monetary Fund, but Mm -hmm. it was the end of the Bretton Woods exchange rate system. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we the United States uh, nullified the Treaty of Bretton Woods by. So at that point, the
1: dollar floated more. At 50? that
0: point, the dollar and the yen and the European currencies floated, and they three major currencies have been floating ever since. But that left an inheritance of exchange of fixed exchange rates in the rest of the world relative to. With exchange rates that are fixed with respect to the dollar
1: or the yen, and those have remained sticky in some cases.
0: They have remained sticky.
1: I mean, they've been stayed fixed, or they don't. They stayed them?
0: fixed, or they have been moderated by uh, formulas which moved them to uh, stay within a band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they had a tendency to hit the. Mm-hmm. Top of the band, and at that point they were fixed,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or and they could be that the band was moving in a way that was meant to uh, compensate for a difference in inflation between the uh, Indonesia or, or Korea and the dollar, the United States uh, inflation. But then that might get out of date, and then they would move. To the end, to the edge of the band, and and then they would be fixed, and then they would be vulnerable to a speculative attack.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we've now gotten into the world that I know uh, yeah. a little bit, and so um, what is why does it seem like there's just so many of these uh, international currency problems that. Uh, you know, it seems we have free markets everywhere else, and that the, the, the freer the market, the better. And yet, uh, time after time, we seem to have these international currency crises. Are, are they caused by these uh, lingering uh, stickiness and fi- you know these bands that that arbitrarily fix how far a currency can move, or is that what's causing all the uh, problems?
0: Well, it doesn't cause all the problems. It, it causes the crisis problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like. Uh analogous to uh, uh, bank run. Mm-hmm. You think about uh, banks which are uninsured, think of uninsured banks just within one country. It's like the United States in the 1930s, for mm-hmm. example. So, uh, if the bank has promised to uh, convert your deposits into cash on demand, cash being United States coins or currency, or bills currency. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if uh, you are a depositor, uh, you're not just concerned about uh, the bank's balance sheet and how how good its uh, loans and so on look, but you know that the bank has has a, a lot of uh, assets that are are not going to be available to the bank on demand. That they are they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Longer maturity bonds or loans that are, in the nature of the case, illiquid. Mm
1: -hmm. And the
0: whole—that's the whole nature of banking,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. commercial banking—is to take very liquid liabilities and convert them into quite illiquid uh, assets that the bank holds.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So every depositor has a uh, right to have a concern about whether the bank is going to be able to. Pay off in cash if the depositor asks them to, as they have promised. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's not just a question of the solvency of the bank; it's a question of what other depositors think about the bank. Mm-hmm. So, so, I, as a single depositor, might be concerned that you are are uh, not confident of the bank's ability to pay. Mm-hmm. So if I think that there are a lot of people like you, then uh, I'm going to be like that too because mm-hmm. I better get my cash. I know I know the bank doesn't have enough cash to to pay off everybody. So mm-hmm. I'm going to get my my deposits cashed in before you do. I mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. So so you have a panic and uh, uh, a run on the banks, and that that's not a uh, a possibility in ordinary uh, market. Trades that you referred to, but it is a possibility in uh, in these financial markets where there is that kind of uh, pledge
1: and where. Uh, but isn't the pledge just a mismatch between the length of the loan and the length of the investment? Or, I mean, these people in foreign countries, we don't. They aren't like demand deposits. We can't pull our money out when and we make a loan for a specific amount of time. And oh yes, but you can draw the money out after the specific amount of time.
0: No. No.
1: At any point, we can take the money out. If I loan money
0: to any, 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 if if you don't have any exchange control, anybody who has, let's say, Korea, mm-hmm. let's say Korea has a uh, fixed exchange rate at uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: one won per dollar. I don't. I'm sure that's not what it is. Yeah. But let's let's say it, what uh-huh. it is. So uh, anybody who has won, including yeah. Koreans, yeah, as well as Americans and uh, Indonesians and uh, Japanese, yeah. Can get from the Central Bank of Korea yeah. on demand
1: mm-hmm.
0: one dollar for every one. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a deal between any particular uh, mm-hmm. entity in Korea mm-hmm. and uh, a bank in Tokyo or New York. Mm-hmm. That's a promise of the Korean government. Yeah, the same kind of promise that was made in the gold standard to mm-hmm. by the United States to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, give out uh, an ounce of gold for every thirty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's that's available on them, just like the bank, it's a perfectly good analogy, mm-hmm. just like the, the bank promised to give cash for deposits. So the same psychology is is uh, existing there. And now, now, now it's true that the uh, in the particular example that we were focusing on in East Asia, a lot of the People who had uh, lent to not to the central bank of Korea or Indonesia, but to private banks in those countries, mm-hmm. lent them, uh, let's say, two-week uh, two-week loans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then every two weeks they could decide not to renew the loan. Mm-hmm. So, but then that, that that could be a reason for anybody who holds. Korean currency to wonder if those banks aren't going to do that next uh, mm-hmm. next week. And essentially, the uh, private banks uh, are relying on the, their ability to get dollars from their central bank to pay back the
1: lenders in Tokyo and New York. Mm-hmm. Now, is the problem one of actual physical convertibility of one into dollars, or is it just a matter of uh, of uh, the debt being valued in terms of so many dollars? I mean, I, I suppose that you didn't, suppose there was no convertibility between one and dollars. The government wasn't obliged to produce dollars for uh, one at a fixed exchange rate. Would that eliminate... Well, the
0: exchange rate would go down under the circumstances, that is, it would take more one to...
1: Pay the to, and so if the debt were denominated in dollars, it'd still be a problem that these people would then owe more money. Oh yeah, more but, want.
0: but the, sure. But the, uh, uh, the it wouldn't be a, a such a traumatic uh, crisis if they go down. And if they have a dollar debt, they're going to have a problem paying off the dollar debt, and it's going to cost them more local resources to to do it. That, that's for sure.
1: And that's for sure. So that strikes me as an important thing that they make all these dollar obligations, and when their economy is going badly, that's precisely when their, the yuan is worth less against the dollar. So they—it's like they've borrowed money and agreed to pay more precisely when they're doing worse. And, uh, well, yes,
0: but this is uh, this is uh, something that may happen uh, both. In fact, because of uh, economic developments that are beyond their control, mm-hmm. so for example, in the particular case, uh, the devaluation of the yen in the floating exchange rate, the yen and the da, mm-hmm. uh, made the uh, East Asian countries less competitive with Japan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and Japan was having a depression, so also they were, were sort of, of uh, getting hard currency by selling their ordinary exports. So so it's not necessarily anything that they could have expected or should have expected to have happen Mm -hmm. that uh, starts uh, people worrying about whether the central bank of uh, Korea is going to be able to honor its pledge.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then you have the bank run scenario. Yeah, it happens very quickly the way it did in within the United States or any other country that has a bank run,
1: or in the hedge fund business, where there's so an analogous thing that happens too. In which, even in American hedge funds, you oh, take long-term cap- capital, and, and it's a very similar phenomenon that yeah. uh, a hedge fund has borrowed a lot of money, and then people get worried that it's not going to be pay- paid back, and then everyone asks. So everybody it, wants, the money. It. yes. Yes. Everyone asks it all at once. So this is what the IMF presumably was created to deal with, this kind of problem.
0: Well, the IMF was uh, created to deal with, uh, with liquidity problems mm-hmm. yes, and uh, with reversible and what thought to be temporary liquidity problems, mm-hmm. but it was thought that in a, uh, the kind of regime that we had in the early years of the second, after the Second World War, Mm-hmm. uh these would not be very big and they wouldn't be uh, beyond the uh, capacity of, uh, of IMF and uh, the and the other uh, credit facilities available to countries all over the world to to deal with mm-hmm. but uh, that after the 70s uh, uh, that that proved to be not true anymore you know, the, the total the total uh, uh, resources of the IMF are uh, are, uh, are uh, of the of the order of 150 billion dollars or 200 billion dollars. I mean, George Soros can write a check for that uh, right now
1: for 200 billion. How many? What are the resources? 200 billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he can quite write a check for 200 well, billion all right. dollars. He and a few others. <laughs> a few like of his it. friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: It's a small amount uh-huh. compared with the amount of uh, 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 hot money that's uh, rolling around,
1: mm-hmm. rolling
0: around the world. That's a small amount. So, so, so they just don't have the money. So, the uh, originally the IMF was supposed to uh, provide uh, liquidity without a certain amount of liquidity to a country that had problems, without any questions asked.
1: Just, mm-hmm.
0: they, they would have the extra liquidity but that certainly has dwindled that that tranche of uh, IMF quota has has dwindled relative to the size of the of the of the trade in the, in the world in 1971 when all this was happening in 197173 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, that that uh, I, I gave some lectures in uh, Princeton called the Janeway lectures, and, and um, I uh, was talking about uh, macroeconomic policy and and uh, what uh, what good it was and and what we learned in the 1960s about how how it worked and how we could make it work better. Mm-hmm. And I stated in that uh, in those lectures in the passage that went, I don't know, five or six pages, uh, that uh, there was going to be a lot more uh, movement of uh, funds across the exchange rates. Mm -hmm. So, there was a big uh, controversy at the time of whether the uh, exchange rate system should be returned to a fixed rate system Mm -hmm. after the Nixon shock. or whether we should stick with uh, floating rates. Uh, And uh, what I said is that either way, we're gonna have a lot of problems because of these large and increasing amount of of mobile funds. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I suggested the uh, one instrument of uh, of, uh, doing something about it would be a tax on,
1: on foreign exchange transactions. Uh Uh-huh. The famous Tobin tax. Well, it wasn't famous then. (laughs) Well, it is now. (laughs) Famous or notorious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, they're very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, The Tobin tax. Okay. So this is something that makes sense even when, or maybe even especially when they're floating exchange rates.
0: No. I think it was, uh, maybe, maybe I had that in mind more than the other at the time, but it
1: doesn't… Doesn't matter. Either one… Either
0: one it could be used for. I, I I actually don't favor uh, the, the use of,
1: uh, of uh,
0: fixed exchange rates.
1: You per- you think floating exchange rates are the way to go?
0: Yes, absolutely, unless you're going to have a, a currency union.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh huh. And that the gold standard was such a currency union, and they're having one in in Europe right now.
1: Uh huh.
0: And of course we have one in the uh, United States. The United States. So. Uh, but what does a currency union mean? A currency union means you, you don't have a monetary policy.
1: So you don't have the temptation of trying to break the exchange rate. In other words, if… if There's fi- no
0: way to break the exchange rate. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, if a union is so good, why isn't a fixed exchange rate so good? It's because it's it's not completely committed to it. Is that the idea?
0: Yes, that's the idea. And, but even, either way… Um, uh, you could ad- ad- adopt uh, some big, important key currency as your essentially as your exchange rate. Sometimes mm-hmm. called a currency board idea. Mm-hmm. So then you say, uh, essentially, an Argentina says, uh, uh, we, "We don't care about the peso anymore." Well, maybe have a few peso coins that, that circulate and bills, but essentially we're in the dollar mm-hmm. and. Uh, we will stay with the dollar and we will not have any monetary policy because all the monetary policy that we do, all the monetary operations we do, are just to maintain our parity with the dollar. Mm-hmm. So we might as well just say, let's use the dollar instead, mm-hmm. of, uh, mm-hmm. instead of the peso, essentially. So that's a way of uh, doing it. Or the, you know, the euro union is, is another way of doing it. But either way, uh, Argentina has no monetary policy anymore because mm-hmm. it's made in Washington, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, uh, in in either in, even in uh, Frankfurt in Germany they don't have a monetary policy anymore because it's made in it's made down the street in Frankfurt by the European Central Bank, not by not by the Bundesbank. Uh-huh. So you give up the money that that's and although back in the gold standard days. Uh, Nobody ever thought you, you needed a monetary policy except the Bank of England, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: Then, uh, and their monetary policy wasn't uh, based on worrying about the objectives of, that we think of monetary policy, uh, mm-hmm. but rather just smoothing out the, the system. Uh, so and back in those days, people were content not to have monetary policies. but. If you want to have some control over your own economy in Korea or Indonesia or Thailand or Brazil or and so on, you you want to have a, some possibility of having your own monetary policy. Mm-hmm. And so- to do that, you need to maintain some uh, some friction between that uh, prevents complete arbitrage between uh, what's happening in New York or Tokyo and what's happening in your own markets.
1: Okay, so we started off by talking about currency crises and how the Tobin tax was a suggestion to to maybe that would slow things down, but we've moved from that to, so it seems like there's a two-pronged effect of the Tobin tax. It might prevent some currency crises or at least reduce their probability, and at the same time it enables two countries to have two separate. Monetary policy.
0: In fact, that was the main. Uh, which was purpose. The main, That was the main purpose of the Tobin
1: tax. Which one? The monetary one or the slowing down the crises? No, the uh, the Se- monetary separate monetary policy. separate
0: monetary policy. That was the main question. The main purpose of the Tobin tax. because crises will be uh, will be uh, limited, uh, reduced in incidence, I believe, by having floating rate rather than a fixed rate.
1: Uh-huh. I think there's still a possibility for uh, crises, actually. In you mean case.
0: a, a freefall of the currency, a so-called?
1: Freefall of the currency accompanied by the same kinds of bankruptcies and dislocation of workers and so on. Yes. But, and, and I think it's caused by the same mechanism of you know short-term loans and then these illiquid investments. And uh, people get worried that they're not... Uh, good anymore and then there's a panic and everyone wants to get out yes
0: first. but we, we also have examples of uh, considerable changes in exchange rates which occur with floating exchange rates without any
1: crisis uh-huh like Japan you're like Japan for example yeah. and
0: and uh, yes that, that's right so um, there's something traumatic about the the discrete nature of changing the regime of the, the currency regime mm-hmm which, by the way, says that, that when you have a run on your currency, that, that's too late to uh, mm-hmm. change to floating rates. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have to change the floating rates, but mm-hmm. uh, you can't expect to say, oh, yeah, well, we should have had floating rates, so now we have them, and expect uh, to get
1: anything up. Right, you get a yeah. discrete jump, and then they'll. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No So Korea, um, you think, would have been better off if it had a floating exchange rate, but then the problem is that these George Soros and his friends would make sure that the interest rate was identical in Korea and New York and they wouldn't have any um, monetary policy to speak of.
0: That's right. So then they'd have to have some…
1: You think monetary policy does any good anymore, by the way? Oh, yeah. I think it does some good. Yeah. Yeah. uh... That's a different lecture next hour, so, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for that. But, yeah. Okay, and so how would the Tobin tax uh, enable you to do any monetary uh, policy? Just because uh, there's a tax and transactions, so Soros can't move back and forth between countries as much? That's well, if he does,
0: it's going to cost him uh, some taxes that will uh, reduce the return on his uh, investments. So the
1: idea of the Tobin tax is uh, it's a tax per transaction. So the people who make more transactions pay a bigger tax.
0: Yeah. If you do if you do it, a round trip between uh, uh, London and uh, Seoul and Korea oh. uh, e- every week, that's uh, you do it 50 times and you pay the tax 100 100 times, and even if the tax is only a tenth of one percent, you you're getting a 10% uh, uh-huh. loss if you, if you do that kind of uh, rapid movement. Now, as you've told me before, they could make just one transaction in long term, longer term, one year or longer. Uh,
1: if Korea tried to keep the interest rates long below the American rate for a whole year, yeah. then Soros would only need to do sorry, it once. Soros would only need to do it once, that's right. So. So that doesn't that 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 still en- enables the monetary well, well, I think
0: there's more more kind of risk uh, uh there which itself uh, produces some risk of a change in the exchange rate. Yes. Which itself produces some uh, obstacle. To Soros. To mm-hmm. Soros,
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Or or to you. Or to- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh. so yeah. But I, I I don't think it's a uh, complete solution. We were talking a while ago about local banks uh, in one of these mm-hmm. small countries, uh, what developing countries or emerging economies that uh, that borrowed short term from uh, uh, hard currency banks in Frankfurt or. Yes. New York or Zurich and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are actually uh, commandeering for themselves the uh, country's international reserves. Yeah, in, in hard currency because they don't have. If if they have a uh, uh, debtor, a net debtor position in hard mm-hmm. currency, mm-hmm. and then if. Uh, the lenders ask for uh, their money, uh, and they have the right to do so. Let's say every week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, who's going to lose the money? It's the country. It's going to lose mm-hmm. the hard currency reserves, mm-hmm. and not and not the banks. The banks itself. So, if I were running the banking system of that country, I wouldn't allow those banks to have a net debtor position.
1: If you had a fixed exchange rate, or either way, yeah. Yeah, I think this is an extremely important point, by the way, which I, I don't hear people making as effectively as you do. I mean, there's an externality, um, it's an externality. You're it's talking an about, externality, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you could say there are two kinds of externalities. There's how much they borrow and also how much collateral they put up for what they borrow. In either case, if they borrow in dollars um, and then... They have trouble paying back the dollars they're going, or if something goes wrong in their business they're going to make it harder for other people who've borrowed in dollars to pay Yeah, back e- the either dollars. the
0: exchange rate's going to go Haywire
1: exactly or the
0: reserves are going to be depleted right I right. think
1: of the exchange I'm, I'm with you with floating exchange rates. I'm thinking yeah. of that case the exchange yeah. so, I would
0: think you say also that that, that of course if uh, you don't do it through the banks, uh, corporations could do it by themselves yeah so I wouldn't object to to uh having as I think sometimes those countries have done is to have some uh, uh, regulation of the of the uh, hard currency debts of of uh, companies yeah of the net hard currency debts of companies as well as of banks I mean if you're running a a, a small country like that mm-hmm. uh, you want to have you want to import capital from the rest of the world there's that's for sure mm-hmm. and, but you in what form? You'd want to have direct business investment. You'd like to have some American or German company build some factories in your country, yep. or 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 buy your equities. Mm-hmm. But uh, to do all this stuff in
1: uh, in foreign hard currencies, that, that that's a great mistake. You mean to make the debt obligation in denominated in a foreign currency that's a mistake i agree and it's because well the way i think of it i think you think of it a little differently but the way i think of it is because your obligation now is in a foreign currency so if things go bad in your business uh or your country you owe more and and you make it more difficult for someone else in your country to pay exactly exactly that's and, and, and so the regulation could be a limit on how much they can borrow, but also it could be a limit on how much collateral they have to put up or, or the... You know, well, and
0: then the collateral, I mean, I said net debt or debt in
1: foreign currency. Yeah. So if they have collateral in foreign currency, that... Makes up for a it lot makes of Makes up it. for that. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I don't know, that it seems to me very important uh, point. So, so but, that's
0: a you know, kind of, ex- of uh, intervention in the system that... Uh, is not part of uh, extreme globalization.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If, if globalization means that I can make and you can make a currency
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, transaction in in Seoul mm-hmm. from New York to Seoul,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the same as from New York to Chicago, mm-hmm. then uh, that does uh, make a lot of problems that uh, don't exist when you make it between United New York and Chicago. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, the, the hedge fund crisis is very related to this because the hedge fund, let's say they are a mortgage hedge fund, they, u- they use as collateral their mortgages. So that's like the, the debt being denominated in their, in their mortgages and so when one hedge fund borrows a huge amount and gets into trouble and then throws all these uh, mortgages on the market that makes it more difficult for the other hedge funds to pay back because their very asset is now worth less against the dollars that they borrowed so it's it's the local good instead of being a local currency is the mortgage and they're, they're what they all owe is dollars and so there's an externality with each one borrowing more than uh, is good for the other one and so it yeah, th- there
0: is, it's 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 very it, it's very similar in this in this in the uh, in the sense that the the fund or the uh, or the banks in the small country have the the power to change the prices of the assets that they are dealing with and that a lot of other people are dealing
1: with yeah exactly and so the, so this is a kind of thematic kind of regulation that uh, it's a global international regulation that might be room for, but also even in the American domestic market, for the same kind of asset market it seems like there's. Yeah, a- we generally think
0: that uh, competition works when uh, the individual competitors are price takers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they're not making transactions that are big enough to change the prices
1: of the things that they're dealing in. Yeah. But that's not the case. Even if they were small though, there would still be an externality. I think this argument implies it's an externality. Even if they're all small, they only have a little bit of an effect, but they still have this external effect on changing the terms of trade of their co-borrowers. So, before we end, I want to ask you about one last thing. I mean, you know, the 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 international. I mean, sorry, European Monetary Union is uh, everybody's talking about it now. so is it going to work? Is it a good thing? What do you think of international, of European monetary union? Why are why are there some, why are they having so many troubles? By the way. Well,
0: I don't know if they're having troubles. I don't. I don't count the uh, whether the euro goes up or down relative to the dollar as a trouble. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a <laughs> certainly misguided idea that
1: the uh, it should only go euro
0: up. <laughs> would only be a success if it rose relative to the dollar. In fact. Given the fact that uh, we are much more cyclically prosperous than Europe is, you would think that it would not be a good idea for the euro to rise relative to mm-hmm. the dollar, it would not be a good idea for Europe for for, for that to happen. So that's a great mistake that's uh, made in the press all the time, is that the, the way to judge a currency is how how, quote, strong it is, which means... How expensive it is uh-huh. for other people to buy it. <laughs> so, so uh, but uh, I think that uh, the problem with the euro, with Euroland, is that there is no uh, macro policy there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: there. There's no monetary policy except the policy of the European Central Bank. Mm-hmm. That is in the hands of, not of the. Uh, political government of the, of the European Union, mm-hmm. but of a kind of, of a isolated uh, ex- bureaucracy uh-huh. which is charged in its charter to aim solely at price stability and to consider nothing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: no outcomes uh, concerning employment growth and so on, mm-hmm. production and so on. So, uh, so they don't have—they've foregone having any any uh, Euroland-wide monetary policy, and of mm-hmm. course they don't have any monetary policy in the eleven members, because mm-hmm. they don't have their own currencies. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any monetary. Then they have rules against fiscal policy
1: mm-hmm.
0: for both—for all the <coughs> members. The members are not allowed to have uh, deficits and debts above certain percentages. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, since there is no federal government, there's no federal fisc. And you can't have a fiscal policy unless you have a fisc. So they, they don't have a, <laughs> a, uh, a possibility of having fiscal policy. So essentially, they don't have any any stabilization policy in of the type that we rely upon as a matter of routine all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, And so I don't. They have a theory that says you don't need it; it doesn't do any good. Uh So you might as well just let (laughs) it. It's back to the gold standard. We were talking about earlier. Yeah. The gold standard of Uh pre-1914, which was the idea that you don't need. We don't have any any uh, uh, stabilization policy, and we don't need any stabilization policy.
1: Hadn't invented macroeconomics yet.
0: That's right. Now
1: we've they've forgotten it.
0: (laughs) Well, they've uh, deliberately, forgotten, deliberately them, willfully, forgotten, willfully forgotten, so, so um, I can imagine that uh, a, a European government could make something out of Euroland if they took uh, seriously the need to have some kind of macro policy.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: they don't seem to be interested uh, in doing that, although they have a bunch of uh, new governments, which maybe would like to do that, but they don't know how to go about it.
1: So you think until they rethink the monetary union a little bit, or at least the rules of it, they're going to find themselves not getting out of their… their I think that's right, but their their
0: think the, I, I think the euro will survive. I don't think it will fall apart. Uh-huh. I, don't think will, I think it will survive. It does have a you know, it's kind of political a political uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, and maybe a symbolic purpose that uh, if you think if you were for the United States of Europe and there are people who are
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you would want to have a single a single currency that
1: mm-hmm.
0: we wouldn't like it if we had a, uh, mm-hmm. a a dollar a different dollar for every state mm-hmm. uh, and so we regard Alexander Hamilton as done a good thing when he mm-hmm. assumed the uh, Revolutionary War debts of the states, mm-hmm. of the new states. So, but we have a lot of uh, adjustment mechanisms, including federal policy, because we have a big federal government, and they have a lot of adjustment mechanisms that they don't have. So they they, they not easy to recreate or create in uh, a few years but but eventually
1: they might that's like eventually might but
0: it may be painful
1: may be painful Mm -hmm. well thank you very much
0: and thank you uh,
1: john for
0: (laughs) joining me this afternoon oh
1: it was my pleasure
0: (laughs) want more episodes like this don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the free to choose media podcast